0: Morning, Crestview. So, did you hear the good news this week on Facebook, if you're on there, the email that we sent out? We have a new address. Uh, that's some pretty big news um, for our relocation project. This last week, we were given a new address for the future property um, of where we're going to be. It's a funny story. Um, when I heard this, she told me over the phone, she said, it's 3940, and then she said, oh, that's cute. And I went, well, it's cute. I don't get it. Is this a special number? I said, what do you mean? She goes, 38, 39, 40. I'm like, oh, I get it now. It's easy to remember now. All right. So um, 3940 XL Road, and it's in your bulletins. In two weeks, we're going to have a groundbreaking ceremony. Very cool um, time for us as a church. We'd love for you to come out and be a part of that um, and celebrate. I think this is is really neat for us. Um, If you did not receive that email. You're like, I don't know what he's talking about. I didn't see that email. Or you don't like us, like on Facebook, li- like us there. You might follow us, see that. Um, and if we don't have a good email address for you, take that third flap in your bulletin um, this morning, tear that out, fill it out, put that in the offering when it goes by later. And then prayer request, put a prayer request on there. Um, it's good. We're also today, if, if you're new with us this morning, we're having a lunch right after the service over in our youth area. Um, first step lunch was kind of the first step to take getting to know us a little bit better as a church, this is for you. With that, the staff will be there. We'll just be hanging out, eating lunch. No real agenda with that. So coming to lunch won't take too long. Um, then we'll be on our way. So we'd love to get to know you a little bit. Well, we're in a series right now called Two Minute Warning. And I think that there are times in our lives where we have those life-changing decisions that we have to make. And they might affect the rest of our lives, Well, if you're like me, when when you start reading the Bible, if you start at the beginning, like any good book, right? You start at the front and you read to the end, but you start reading in Genesis and you see some pretty hefty stories. You see God creating the whole world, and his awesome power in that, and and it's great. Then he tells the sea to part, and he parts the Red Sea, and the Israelites walk through it, and his amazing power is there. And then they walk around the desert for 40 years, and God's power is a part of that, and he gets them to the promised land, and the trumpets sound, and the walls fall over. And there's some really cool stories, but there's something about reading some of that that it just doesn't always connect, I'm like, really, these are really good stories. I like them, but I have a tough time identifying with them in my own life for that. As powerful as they are and as impressive as they are, sometimes I need something that connects a little bit more personal. So if you can make it through to the eighth book of the Bible, there's a little book there called Ruth. Now, I like teaching this lesson. Maybe you've heard this um, before from me, but I think this is great for us. Finally in this, we get a story about a mother and a mother-in-law. True story. Some history of this um, for us. And it helps us make a good connection. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to the book of Ruth. And we're going to see how she made a two-minute warning type decision in her life. The book of Ruth. If you have your phones, get your phones open. Go to the Bible app. Follow us along there. Um, The book of Ruth. The story reveals that God is not just a God of awesome power. He's a God that's personal. He cares about each one of us on a personal level. On everyday circumstances, he will do this. So Ruth chapter one, starting in verse one, says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and his two sons went to live for a while in a country, the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilion. Now before I jump into this and explain this a little bit, I want to go back several years. It was a few years after April and I got married. We had um, We got married, we grew up in this area, we started to spend our lives together here in this area, here in Manhattan actually. We lived for like three years after we got married here. And then we moved from Manhattan to Louisville, Kentucky. It was a big move for us. Um, Several states away from our family, a different time zone from our families. This was the first big move for us in our marriage. And it was great for our marriage. It was good for us to be able to do this. And I think how it's defined best for me is this. It's an old saying, big doors turn on small hinges. It was a small hinge for us to make the move, but man, it opened up some big doors for us, and it was great for us in that opportunity. I see this here. Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they made a big decision, and they moved 100 miles away from Bethlehem to Moab. Now, 100 miles back then, that was a big move. And Bethlehem, this is the same town that Jesus was born in, um, Bethlehem, to Moab. And Moab was the enemy. This was the the enemy of the Israelites. They were moving into enemy territory. But here was a guy that cared about his family. There was a famine in land. He said, I have to take care of my family. So he made the big decision to move them. The Moabites, even though they weren't um, nice, they found life there. And it wasn't very long, though, after their move that tragedy struck to this family And Elimelech, the father, died. Naomi was devastated, and her sons had found a life here in this community. Even though she was devastated, she stayed because her sons had married Moabite women at this point. One of them was named Orpah. The other was named Ruth. So here was their new life in this new place. But something else terrible happened. Both of Naomi's young sons died. We don't know why, and we're just a few verses into this book when we see this. Uh, There might have been an accident, maybe there was a plague. Whatever the case was, in a short span, all of her family was gone. And grief, I learned this by reading this, grief is not distributed equally. I think it's a lesson we can learn that grief is not an equal opportunity employer, Some people go through life with almost nothing bad ever happening to them, while others, some of you, you have experienced one disaster after another, after another, after another. Naomi said, this is a bitter pill for me to swallow. God has dealt me some hard blows. I've lost my husband, now my two sons. So Naomi decided that it was best for her to move back to Bethlehem. She was going to move back to the people that she knew the best and recover there. Now, the covenant, though, the covenant that was made between the Jewish people and God was not to intermarry. I wonder if at some level, when Naomi was thinking through this process, I wonder if she ever thought that maybe God was punishing her because of their move and what her sons had done. But her character was still true. She was still a great woman. We can see this because her two daughters-in-law... Ruth and Orpa, they loved her very much. And when Naomi decided to move back to Bethlehem, her two daughters-in-law said, we're going with you. We want to move with you. And so they packed up and they were headed out of town. But Naomi had second thoughts. She turned to her daughters-in-law and said, you need to move back home. You need to stay here. And she loved them so much. If you knew the Hebrew and could read this passage in Hebrew, you would see that She calls them her own daughters. She doesn't use the term daughters-in-law. She uses an affectionate term to show how much she cares and loves them. But she says, why would you come with me? I'm not going to have any more sons. There's no one there for you to marry. I'm not going to have any more sons for you to, to marry. She said, you would be foreigners in Judea. You're both still young. Why don't you stay here, start your lives over, meet another Moabite man, and start a new family here. Well, Orpah, she cried, but she agreed. She kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, and she moved back home, and we never hear of her again. But Ruth refused. She embraced Naomi, and she wouldn't let go. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has moved back home to live with her people and her gods. You should do the same. And this was Ruth's reply. This is a famous passage. Maybe you've heard this before. Ruth chapter one, verse 16. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Now, oftentimes that's read in a wedding. If you've ever been to a wedding, sometimes a bride will say, this is what I want read in my wedding. It's a good commitment between two people, but that's not the original context. The original context is between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law, not between husband and wife. When you think about it, this was a huge decision for Ruth. This was a two-minute warning type decision This was a small hinge with some big doors hanging on it. So here's the first lesson I think we can learn from this. One, be ready at any moment to make a life-changing decision. You never know when these are going to come, and I think we have to be ready at any time to say, this is what I'm going to do. Well, Naomi and Ruth, they grieve together, And their friendship was deep, so deep that Ruth said, I'm moving to Bethlehem with you to worship your God. Now, most estimate that the population of Bethlehem had to be around 200 people at the time. Um, So when they moved back into town, man, the town was buzzing. There was gossip all over the place. Is that really Naomi? Did she really move back to town? She looks old and unhappy. She hasn't aged very well. Naomi responded, she heard all of it, right? She was listening to the rumors, and she, she said, Yes, I am Naomi, you remember correctly, but don't call me Naomi. That, actually, that name actually means pleasant one. She said, call me bitter, because God has dealt me some hard blows. She said, I left here full of life, hopeful, but I've come back with no husband and no sons. And she wasn't pleasant anymore, Well, shortly after they moved back to Bethlehem, Ruth announced, she said, hey, I have to contribute to this. I have to do something. So she said to her mother-in-law, I'm going to go get a job. But she was a foreigner. Uh, Who would hire her, right? Well, she was ambitious, though, and she was willing to go and get a job. Um, They needed something to live on. She had no marketable skills, but she found that she could start this thing called gleaning. Gleaning. Maybe you've never heard this term before, gleaning in the fields. She would follow after the harvesters that were harvesting the grain, and she would pick up the leftovers from them. Now, in this time period, during the Old Testament time period, the, the Jewish people were commanded that when they harvested grain, they were not to go back a second time and, up, and pick up anything that was left over. They were to leave what they missed Behind for those that were homeless or poor, and that was for them to eat. That's how they contributed to society. So Ruth jumped in, and she joined the unemployed people walking behind the harvesters, picking up the leftover grain, gleaning from them, and putting those in her bag. Well, Ruth just happened to pick a field, picking grain in a field that was owned by a man named Boaz. Boaz happened to be a kind man, and he was a relative of her late father in law. The name Boaz actually means man of strength, man of standing. Now, some might suggest this was a coincidence, just a lucky break for Ruth. But David Reagan, a theologian, I like how he um, defined it. He calls this a God incident. Now, I would agree there are things that happen in our life that are just coincidences. I'm not sure that God manipulates every single thing that happens in our life. Some things happen, but I do believe that if we trust in the Lord with all our heart, he will direct our paths. And I believe that God directed Ruth to this field that was owned by Boaz. And he noticed this special young lady working in his field. Maybe it was because she was a stranger. He'd never seen her before. Maybe it was because she was a hard worker. I suspect, though, that he noticed her like any man notices a young lady. She was hot. (laughs) I think she was a looker. She was attractive, and she caught his eye. Boaz said to Ruth, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow after these girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And wherever, whenever you're thirsty, why don't you come over here and get something to drink from the jars the men have filled. He's fallen for her, right? Ruth fell on her knees and said to Boaz, why are you treating me so kindly? I'm a foreigner. Why are you so nice? And Boaz said, well, I heard about how you were kind to Naomi. She's a relative of mine. And Ruth was impressed with Boaz. She said, oh, sir, such grace and kindness. I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart and you treated me like one of your own. I don't even belong here. At mealtime, this is chapter 2, verse 14, at mealtime Boaz said to her, come over here and have some bread. So she went with the harvesters to eat lunch. And she sat down and he offered her some roasted grain and she ate all that she wanted and had some left over. And as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. He said, even if she gathers among the sheaves, meaning the stuff that they were harvesting, don't embarrass her. In fact, why don't you leave a few stocks behind just for her? And he, It's romantic. He's taking care of her. And that night she goes home with a big doggy bag full of grain, and she ex- is, she's excited. She reports to her mother-in-law everything that happened, and Naomi is wise, and she knows what's going on, and she could have felt threatened by all of this, but she doesn't. She encourages. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it would be good for you to go with his girls because in someone else's field you might be harmed. Now if we jump to the third chapter, we're going to um, Ruth chapter 3. We're going to see that Naomi plays Cupid for Ruth and Boaz. Chapter 3 verse 1, one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you can be well provided for? She decides she needs to Boost their relationship a little bit. Help them out. Boaz was a middle aged, unmarried man. Ruth was a foreigner, a little naive, and they needed a little help to get together. What impresses me is that Naomi thought Boaz was a good catch, a good match. Usually, no one thinks anyone's good enough for their own children, right? So they want the best for them. I actually heard about a group of women, young ladies, that they were going shopping, and they found this store, several stories high, and they were selling husbands at the store. So they said, this is the best place for us. So they walked in, sign on the first floor, it said, available men here, they have good paying jobs. They said, that's great, but let's go to the second floor and see what they have. So they got in the elevator, the doors opened on the second floor, the sign said, available men here, they have good paying jobs, and they're good looking. They said, Bonus, that's great, but let's check out the third floor. Sign on the third floor, it said, available men on this floor, good-paying jobs, good-looking, and they love children. Wow, it's getting better, they said. This is great. So they said, let's go to the next level. So the doors opened to the fir- fourth floor, and it said, available men here, they have good-paying jobs, are good-looking, love children, and they enjoy housework they said this is amazing so they went to the fifth floor the doors open on the fifth floor it said there are no husbands available on this floor but it does prove that you can never please a woman <laughs> sorry well maybe maybe not <laughs> Naomi was helping select a husband for Ruth and she was satisfied with Boaz she thought he was a good catch he's perfect for her and so Naomi gives Ruth some counsel. You know, how do you get Boaz to take the next step? And listen to this advice she gives. All right, this is Ruth chapter 3, starting in verse 3. And I want to tell you, this is the scene of this. I've got to set the stage for you. This is the party after harvest. So they've done harvest, and they're throwing a big party for harvest. And the party happens on, at the place that they call the threshing floor. So it says this, wash and perfume yourself and put, your best, put on your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. If you know what I mean with this, right? When he lies down, go to the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Can you believe that's in the Bible? <laughs> it's awfully risky, right? i kind of forward of her to go and do this. But it's really not if you understand their culture and understand what Ruth is actually doing. She's actually proposing marriage. Nothing immoral happened that night. And if you have an NIV study Bible, in the notes below you would actually read, although Naomi's instructions may appear forward, the moral integrity of Naomi and Ruth was never in doubt. In fact, chapter 3, verse 11 says, all my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. The Bible has instructed during this time period that if a husband dies and has left no children, then the husband's brother or closest relative is to marry his um, wife so that the brother's name could carry on the next of kin is actually there's a term it's actually called the kinsman redeemer this is important for us i want you to hang on to this term the kinsman redeemer it, the kinsman redeemer was responsible for buying back any family member that was sold into slavery so they had several jobs they they had several opportunities out in front of them to keep their family together and moving ahead naomi's advice to ruth is not to initiate intimate relations but to invite him to take her as her bride. Ruth told Naomi, I will do whatever you say. And when she did, she was proposing marriage to a kinsman redeemer. So to me, here's another lesson from us. Sometimes we have to take a risk. I believe there are times in our lives where we say, I know it's a big move. I know this is a big step. I know there's something that can happen here special. And you have to, you have to risk something. You have to step out and make something happen. And Ruth did exactly what Naomi had advised. Boaz celebrated the harvest. He had a good time, and he laid down at the end of the night, at the end of a stack of barley, and Ruth quickly laid down at his feet, signaling to him her availability for marriage. Chapter 3, verse 8 says, In the middle of the night, something startled the man. And he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked, I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether they are rich or poor. So Boaz, he's delighted that Ruth has shown interest in him, an older man. Maybe for some reason he never made the approach earlier. Maybe he thought he was too old for her. Maybe he thought she wouldn't be interested. Like, she's, she's out of his league, so he never did it. But Boaz says, I'd love to marry you. Everyone in town knows what a great person you are. But there's a problem. There's a snag in this plan. Yes, I'm a relative, but there's one who is closer than I am. And by our custom, he has the first right to marry you. So first thing in the morning, I'll go find out if he's interested. If he is, I won't be able to marry you. But if he's not interested, then as sure as there's a God in heaven, I will, he said. Verse verse 14. So she laid at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman has come into the threshing floor. Again, he's protecting her. Verse 16. When Ruth came home to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go? I believe it was more like, how did it go? How did it go? Come on, tell me. She said, um, this, she told her the whole story. In verse 18, Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For this man will not rest until it is settled today. He's ready. So Boaz, the next morning, went straight to the public square, because that's where um, these type of negotiations happened, And he waited for his relative. And when his relative arrived, Boaz was really clever in his approach. He didn't blurt out and say, you lucky dog, there's a beautiful woman over there that wants to be your um, wife and she can't wait to be with you. You're her kinsman redeemer um, and if for some reason you're dumb enough not to do it, I'll, I'll do it. That's not what he said. He said, uh, hey, you remember Elimelech, that old relative we had, and he moved his family to Moab and then he, then he died? Well, his, his wife is back She's not very pleasant or happy anymore, and she's selling off some property that belonged to him, and you're first in line. If you want it, you can have it. But if you decide not to, then, then I'll do it. His relative said, yeah, I'll take it. I'll, I'll help. And as they walked away, Bella said, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. There's one more thing. It's kind of a package deal. If you buy this land from Naomi, you also get the widow daughter in law as well. She's a Moabite. I'm not sure that that would be best for you, but she has no children. You're going to have to have children with her. She's a hard worker. She has a great personality though. Okay, that's not in there. I added that last line just to help you know where I'm headed with this. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, I can't do it. I can't redeem her because it might endanger my own estate. You redeem her yourself because I cannot. Boaz said, well, I guess if you can't, right, then then I'll do it. Now, during this time period, um, chapter 4, verse 7, it talks about this. To make a transaction happen, what they actually did to make it legal is they traded shoes. I know it sounds odd, but this is how they made legal transactions. I believe that Boaz couldn't get his shoes off fast enough. (laughs) To say, let's make this work and make this happen. And they made it official right there. So Boaz went back to Ruth and said, Before I met you, I was ruthless. And, <laughs> sorry. sorry. It has to be said during this story. If you can't share it during this story, there's no. It was the best pickup line. Here it is, all right? Do I have your attention? Here's the best. The end of the book reads like a fairy tale. Chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and they went, and then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The Bible says, weeping may remain for night, but joy comes in the morning. What a tough life that she walked through. She had wept, and now she was rejoicing. She has a loving husband and a healthy child, daily security, and God's blessing. But it doesn't stop there. No one was happier for her than Naomi. The, woman, the women of the town said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord. Their God, they were giving him the glory, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. So here's the final lesson. Trusting God in the difficult times or confusing times pays off in the good times. Keep walking with him. Keep trusting in him, even if it's tough right now. Naomi rejoiced with Ruth's marriage and children. Even though she was widowed and childless, God blessed her. Chapter 4, verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Now, legally, the son was Naomi's grandson. And his name was Obed. Now, any of you historians that like Old Testament history, you know this name. Obed had a son. His name was Jesse. Jesse had a son whose name was David. King David. It's an amazing story. And I think one of the best ways to tell it is to read a little poem you. So I have a little book here. It's called I Love Ruthie. It was written by a man named Phil Smouse. And there's going to be some pictures on the screen so you can follow along. But I want to close by reading this book to you today. It says, it can't be true. I can't go on. Oh, everything we have is gone. Naomi wept, poor Ruthie cried. Naomi's precious sons had died. And oh, one precious priceless son, Naomi's son, that very one, was Ruthie's husband. Lord above her one and only one true love. Now sometimes when it rains it pours and this time it would pour for sure. For evil people rule the land as evil people sometimes can and sometimes will and sometimes do when you and I allow them to. From here to there, from there to here, the food will the food began to disappear. It filled the people full of fear, yes full of fear from ear to ear. Orpah Ruth, Naomi cried, the time has come, we must decide. We have to leave, we cannot stay, we cannot stay, not now, no way. From north to south, from west to east, the men are gone, extinct, deceased. Without a man, Naomi said, we're all about as good as dead. Now ladies, things were different then, so don't get too upset, amen? Just look at me, I'm old and wrinkled, sagged and bagged and crooked and crinkled, crumpled, puckered, nooked and crannied, rip van, wrinkled, great and grannied. Oh, there's just no hope in sight to find another Mr. Wright, or even just a Daffy Duck or Elmer Fudd or Mr. Yuck. (laughs) The time has come, the time is now, the time has come right now and how. You must return, you must, I say, return back home, right now, today. Naomi prayed that they would bite, and Orpa knew that she was right. She packed her bags without a fight and left for home that very night. But oh, not Ruth, not her, in no way. She had a thing or two to say. I can't return. I want to stay. I will not go right now, today. For where you are is where I'll be. And when you stay, you'll stay with me. And when you die, I'll die with you. And that is what I'm going to do. Your God will be my God, and he will surely care for you and me. Oh, what a thing for Ruth to say. That kind of thing can make your day and make you shout hip, hip, hooray. They hugged and kissed and packed up tight and left for Bethlehem that night. Naomi, is it really true? What happened? Girl, just look at you. Your hair, your clothes, your shoes, your toes, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your nose. You're looking pale. You're looking thin. In fact, if we might say again, you're really looking more akin to something that the cat dragged in. Well, things look bad the way things can. But listen now, God had a plan. Oh, Naomi, please don't cry. Oh, please don't cry. I'll tell you why. I'll find a farm, I'll be real nice, I'll ask them once or maybe twice to take our jugs and jars and sacks and fill them full of treats and snacks. Yes, crumbs and morsels, flakes and flecks, leftover kernels, crumbs and specks, a black banana, bagels, locks, some cheese stuck to a pizza box. I'll beg and plead, I'll sob and bleat, I'll ask them for a tasty treat, an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, tiny scrap for us to eat. So off she went, she did her thing. She did it never noticing that someone had been fastening his bulging eyes on everything. Who is that girl out in my field, and what's she doing, Boaz squealed. Look at that hair, look at those eyes, excuse me, just one minute guys, I've got to go and socialize. No, Boaz wasn't one to miss an opportunity like this. He shaved his toes, he licked his lips, (laughs) he checked his teeth for cracks and chips, he combed the bugs out of his hair, yes, Don Juan, double debonair, was savory fare extraordinaire. Now don't be quick to judge, amen? Well, don't think what you're thinking, then. for Boaz was a gentleman. Please stay with us, take what you need, take what you need and more indeed. He loaded up all Ruthie's sack's and jugs and jars with treats and snacks. Yes, it was true love at first sight, a double-thumping heart delight. She headed home, or what she found, her world was turning upside down. She ran the whole way back to town, about 10 feet above the ground. I'm telling you, tonight's the night, Naomi grinned, and if I'm right, there's only one thing left to do, to get that man to say, I do. So did so do they did, oh did they do. They fluffed and puffed, they crimped and curled, they powdered sweet, perfumed and pearled. They thanked the Lord, they sang his praise, they marveled at his wondrous ways. And off she went into the night to have and hold her Mr. Right. Her Mr. Shining armored knight, her straight from heaven sent delight. Now as I'm sure that you supposed, Boaz said yes when Ruth proposed. Yes, Ruth proposed, that's what I said. Just look it up. Go right ahead. They tied the knot and lived to be quite happy ever afterly. And soon God blessed them with a son, a precious little baby one. But wait, the story's far from done. Because their son, he was the one who had a son, who had a kid known as King David. Yes, he did. And David was the great, 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 times three, times one, plus eight great granddad of a man whose wife you've probably heard of all your life. A man whose son, to be precise, was Jesus. No? Yes. Jesus Christ. Just take a second and think it through. Oh, what God will go and do. For God is love and love is kind, the kindest that you'll ever find, the kindest that you'll ever see. That's something else. Don't you agree? This little book, the eighth book in the Bible, it's an incredible illustration of the amazing grace of our God. Here was this lady by the name of Ruth. She was a Moabite. You don't know the story behind the Moabites. You got to go back and do a little study on that. They were horrible people. They came from a horrible background, very evil, very bad people. And from that horrid beginning, from the enemies of Israel comes a woman by the name of Ruth. She became the ancestor of King David and our Savior, Jesus. You know what it tells me? It doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, what you've done. doesn't matter. God is inviting you to be part of his kingdom. Jesus, a man of strength and a man of standing, has come to be our kinsman redeemer, And when you were poor and a foreigner in his kingdom, he loved you. And he purchased you at a price. And the price was huge. The price was his life. He gave up his life to buy you back. He is our kinsman redeemer. And he is offering you that freedom and that grace today. And he's waiting for your response to his amazing offer And it's up to you. I'd love to share that with you. I'd love to tell you more about what Jesus has done for you. If you've never taken that step, I'd love to share that with you. Our baptistry is right behind me. It's warm today. We're ready for you. If you want to make that decision today, if you've never taken that step to even make it public, a public decision to say, yes, I believe in who he is and what he's done for me. I'd love to share that with you. And every week we have an opportunity to be reminded of what Jesus did for us. The sacrifice that he made to be our kinsman redeemer, we celebrate every week. There's some gentlemen in the back of the room, and they're going to pass around a tray. And in that tray is a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice. And that represents the life, the body, and the blood that was sacrificed for us and our kinsman redeemer and what he has done for us. As they pass these trays around, if you're a believer in what he's done, just take this opportunity. Take a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice and just pray over that and be reminded of the amazing grace of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I'm grateful for your son. Grateful that even through a story like Ruth and how you showed that grace through her, how you continued that line God, thank you for being a God that loves us. Thank you for being a God that that makes things personal for us in everyday life. And thank you for your son who became our kinsman redeemer and who shows us love and grace. Even while we were foreigners to your kingdom, you brought us back in. God, may we take this time to never forget what your son has done for us. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.